Hey, what's up, y'all? This is part two of a multi-part episode. So if you have not heard part one yet, then by all means, go back and listen to part one, which should be the previous episode before listening to this one. And if you have listened to part one, then by all means, go ahead and enjoy what's to come. And here we go. But one thing I don't like is that, you know, and again, you see this a lot on social media where these people are trying to be the all seeing eye and everything all all know it all for everything black and they don't know any black people. You know? Yeah, I mean, yeah exactly. Like the, there was a there was a thread of people posting pictures of their parents at Freaknik probably who knows how many years ago it was. And it was like, yeah, but you guys, you know, and then they want to start acting like they're going to oh, we should do it again. We should do our own. Like you don't even come from that culture. Yeah, exactly. And your parents they didn't tell you there's a great movie, right? And you what I like about it, it's not even a black movie, right? It's yeah. um and I think it makes it interesting because it kind of shows that sometimes these things kind of transcend things, right? I mean transcend transcend race, right? But it's a movie with Sean Connery, Dustin Hoffman, and Matthew Broderick. And yeah. they are three generations of the same family. And the family's called and the, the movie's called Family Business. And most people never even heard of this movie. And I don't know, like, it's by Sidney Lumet, who's one of my favorite directors. Mm-hmm. And it's considered one of his weaker movies. And I love this movie. It's called Family Business. And, like, if you look on, like, IMDb, it gets, like, 5.7 out of 10. Oh, wow. On Rotten Tomatoes, it's 38% positive. And I, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm partial to it because I think it has a lot of immigrant themes. And I think it's things that, like, a lot of black people can um, relate to, right? And I think, I think it's good. It's a very good class-based movie and yeah it was just not well received uh on family on rotten tomatoes 38 percent positive the audience score is 27 percent. and maybe i'll watch it again and i'll see why everyone hates it but i remember really liking it when i saw it and when i looked up the response and finding out because i'm like why is this not a better known sydney lumet movie and i found out oh it's because i'm the only one that seems to have liked this thing (laughs) you're the only one that's seen it 
Oh yeah, yeah. I don't even seen it, and anyone of the people who seen it who, who liked it. But um, there's three generations. Sean Connery is the the generation that is the immigrant. He has the thick accent. He's uh, blue collar working class. Has been in and out of jail. Was mm-hmm. um, really the street guy, right? His son is the one who was like the bridge. His son is Dustin Hoffman. And his son was in some shady stuff too, but his son also worked his way to respectability and the son's kind of ashamed of the father. But growing up, the son used to get involved by the father into a lot of the father's schemes. So even though the son is respectable now, and his son, I think, might own like a business or, you know, is a kind of respectable, respected part of the community, even though that's the case, the son is street smart. Right. 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 So he he's like, yeah, I am street smart. I and he's almost in a way, even his respectable, even his respectable accomplishments come from his being street smart. Like, you know what I mean? Like, like, like you get this idea that, you know, he was able to apply his street smartness to become the self-made man that he is, you know, but he and I think the. I think he might have uh, had brushes with the law himself or whatever. But anyway, he's ashamed of he's ashamed of the father. He's bitter at the father for like you know the life that the father like you know gave him and stuff. And he's very big into um, raising his son different. His son is Matthew Broderick, and the son is soft and pampered. Like the son is kind of like uh, Rocky's son in uh, Rocky Balboa. Yeah, yeah. Or he's kind of like in Sopranos, like you know Tony Soprano has his son that he kind of raised in comfort and now the son is Anthony Jr. is like really soft. Oh, and yeah. So it's like, um, he, this is this is the summary of the movie, right? Jesse, which is uh, Sean Connery, is an aging career criminal who has been in more jails, fights, schemes, and lineups than just about anyone else. His son Vito, while currently on the straight and narrow, has had a fairly shady past and is indeed no stranger to illegal activity. See, see, Vito is the um, the the bridge guy, the, the middle class. I mean, the, the middle guy, right? They both have great hope for Adam, and Adam is the grandson. The grandson, Matthew Broderick, who you know uh, is kind of like a herb. It goes Vito's son and Jesse's <laughs> grandson, who is bright, good looking, and without a criminal past. So when Adam approaches Jesse. With the scheme for burglary, he's shocked, but not necessarily uninterested. Because Adam wants to commit a burglary, a crime. Mm -hmm. So he comes to them to commit a crime. And Dustin Hoffman's like, why do you want to do this? Uh, I don't want you to do this. I raised you so you wouldn't have to do any of this. And the grandfather wants to help him. The grandfather's like, oh, you know, great. And so he's kind of going around the the son's back to go to the grandfather and Dustin Hoffman's really mad at him. He's like, why are you... He wants his grandson to get some dirt under his nails. Yeah, yeah. And he also understands how the grandson feels because he's like, uh, it's not fair for us to have lived this life or experienced it and then decide for him that he has no right to make the choice. We're like infantilizing him or whatever and we're depriving him of something. You know what I mean? And, you know, all the... Dustin Hoffman can see out of it is the bad aspects of it. Like he's made all right. parts of his childhood like you know bad. So he's just made it globally bad. And there's a line that he says to his um, grandfather. Well, eventually, Dustin Hoffman comes aboard, decides to help his son, like you know, pull this crime. So they try to do this crime together, and it actually has disastrous 
effects. What's ironic is the son is happy even despite the disastrous effects, you know, that he got to try it, right? Uh, and that he got to at least feel like he um, experienced what his parents experienced. He, he felt like sheltered and like soft. I feel like a lot of these blavities feel like that Matthew brought of a character. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Like they've been shielded from like their blackness and being told uh, that the blackness is kind of like, you know, this is the good thing that you're supposed to do. All this bad black stuff you're not supposed to do. And then they grew up almost wishing like, well, you guys seem to have been okay with it. And I feel like you guys actually got better off because you guys are actually more equipped. Like in a weird yeah. way, you guys are more equipped for the square world. Yeah. Because your, you went through that. Be, because you went through that. Then I am with my, like you've raised me in the square world, you know, and ironically, I feel like you actually are better equipped for it than I am. Or at least you're not getting yeah. pushed around by it the way well, I well, you, well, because I didn't have the experience of growing up in that world, now I'm walking around ass-kissing and begging. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And, you know, and maybe the people who kind of grow up in that square world that are doing well, they have generations in that square world. So they are able to navigate it. Like me, like I'm first generation in the square world, you know. Yeah. I don't have the rooting that, you know, these other people have who are generations deep. I don't have that privilege on money, but I also don't even have your street smarts that you and grandpa had, you know, and, right. uh, you know, I was robbed on both ends. It's just kind of funny because it's, it's a white movie, but it really, I think kind of speaks to it. And there's a scene where he's talking to, uh, Dustin Hoffman's talking to his dad about why he doesn't want to have his son. He goes, I don't get it. He's always had my respect. He's done things I could never do. He's, you know, went to, college. I wish I could have went to college and I wish I could have had this privileged life, you know, and I respect all these things that he can do that I can never do. And then what the grandfather says to him, I thought it was very deep. He says to him, he doesn't want the respect of that veto. Oh, he doesn't want the respect of this veto. He wants the respect because Vito's uh, Dustin Hoffman's character's name. He, yeah. he says he, it's the wrong veto giving him the respect. He wants the respect of the other, the other veto, the veto right. that he didn't even meet. You know what I'm saying? Right. right. He, like, like, like he wants to believe that when his son, that when his dad was young, he'd be the kind of guy he'd want to hang around, not the kind of guy that he would actually beat up or he would right. look down on. Like you know, like like he wants that, and and uh, the father's almost treating the son like he's not an independent person, like he's um just an extension of him. Like, hey, I live this. So you don't have to, but it's like, right. no, you living it isn't the same as me living it. You're deprived me of the right to live it. I feel like that's what blackness is to a lot of these uh, blavities and stuff. It's like, oh yeah, uh, without a doubt. We, we lived blackness, including the so-called bad parts you know, so that you wouldn't have to. But meanwhile, that kid kind of sees how you talk about going to Union Square or going to Latin Quarter and seeing Big Daddy Kane perform live. Like they see that glimmer in your eye. Like it wasn't, Fully as bad as you yeah, say. Yeah, they're never going to get, and they're never going to get that experience of there might be somebody in there with a razor blade, you know what I'm yeah. saying? That might get cut, you know what I mean? Like they, they're never going to experience that. And so, you know, and that's, how, and I think that's what birth, you know, like parts of, you know, quote unquote ratchet Twitter, you know, they, they, they got to, they have to figure out some way to fulfill what they missed. And, and and that's why they kind of cosplay it. Like if you notice, yeah. like they 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 like to cosplay like you know hood stuff. And it's like uh, I think there's a sense like you know iron sharpens like iron or steel sharpens yeah. steel. And we never got that. Like, like we're not getting the steel sharpening that our white peers with generations of like you know 
wealth have gotten, like, you know, through their families. And we're not getting the street one. We're just unsharpened and free-floating and just, like, waiting for benevolence from um, white people. We're just, like, mascots. And and this is what I think happens, too. And I think this is, this is an aspect of the movie Family Business. There's a sense that you're telling me this is so bad, but we can also tell to a certain degree you're proud of it or that you look back on it nostalgically. Like, something's not adding up. Like, you know... Uh, and oh, you yeah. wouldn't give it up. And and in a related sense, there's a sense that you're judging us for not right. experiencing it. For not like, experiencing you know, like, it. Right. Y- yeah. There's a sense that, you know, you're you you chose to shield us from this. It ain't enough you, that you took us away from that environment. But now you're saying, oh, yeah, you don't know shit. You young people, you ain't never been through nothing. You know, it's that, yeah, type, that and, type of thing. And whose fault is that? And, and you know, what's good. I think this is finally becoming the Gen X criticism show that we promised that we would give <laughs> as a counterpart. <laughs> To the millennial yeah. criticism show, you know, you know, like, because uh, I think that's what the veto was in this in this movie. He, he would yeah. be like the black Gen Xer t- today, you know, and so it's like it's like a double bind. Like you, you shielded us from it, and you told us it was a good thing, and you even like threatened us with it when uh, time was bad. Like this guy who tells his kids, like, you know, I'll send you to the Pookies and Ray Ray. But this right. same guy, when he talks to me, all he talks about was, yo, remember how crazy this place used to be? Did you ever go to this right. club? And we right. used to go like 20 deep to this thing. And you're kind of like dangling in front of them like you pussy. Look, look what you didn't experience, you know? Yeah, you don't know, any, you don't know anything about this. You know, yeah, I, had to, yeah, I, had yeah. fight, I had to fight off three dudes to keep my Pumas. Yeah, exactly, exactly. You know, oh yeah, we used to like... Uh, have freestyle circle and, and you used to have like to come with bars and, and any given moment you might have to like freestyle and have a cypher and stuff right and, you know <laughs> what, what what do you guys do you guys make youtube videos you know like right, get the fuck right. out of here yeah yeah so i think i think um you know we kind of caused a lot of those binds in them as 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 gen, gen xers where we told them this is where you have to be like there's nothing better than getting away from black people particularly the bad blacks but we oh, stranded yeah. them with no tools for these new worlds because we don't know anything about these worlds like they're navigating a world that we didn't that we never knew like like your daughter's school like you know you, you didn't have to go to school like that you probably can't Hell give no. her real tool for how to deal with, like, no. with these art school kids you know no they had to fend no. for themselves you know yeah uh, you know like we didn't give them the tools to deal with where we came from but also where we came from is almost a, a dinosaur anyway because it's almost getting harder to find like a real hood anymore yeah anywhere y- y- yeah 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 exactly and uh l- like the hoods they have now are so bad i don't think we could even like no. anything left that's still a hood has things like hookworm in it and shit that's yeah. like third world <laughs> shit. Like Yeah, you gotta fuck around and get ringworm fucking around these places, man. Like it's to the point to where it's, it ain't it you know, uh being being in the hood today isn't about, you know, when you was in the hood, everybody knew who you were, you know, you could eat at your yeah. friend's house, you know. The hood today is like you're in a depressed area that is just so depressed. I mean it's, well, not, it's not even worth it's, gentrifying. It's, it's not, not even, even worth gentrifying. it's not even worth it. It's not even worth gentrifying. Yeah, so you're yeah. gonna live in a gentrified black area, or you're gonna live in just a piss poor, meth infested. The cops don't even want to go there. That's how bad it is. Yeah, and it's like some shit where it's like when you see clips of it, you're like, oh wait, that's America. You just assume that yeah. you're watching like the third world. So it's yeah. like, so it's like these kids are kind of just kind of like culturally or psychologically almost like racially homeless. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like uh, they don't like, have any. They don't have any culture. I don't want to keep saying like you know, like I said last time, they got mad. That they don't create anything, but I, I there really is really nothing left to create. This is just a bunch yeah. of broken toys. 
Yeah, and and we kind of gave him like nothing to really inherit or go back to. Right, we didn't give right. him anything. To, we didn't give him anything to go back to. Like like yeah. like even the it's kind of weird because even though the cracked out era was so bad, you still had like like in in the cracked era with like you know black neighborhoods. Even though there was like that blight and everything, you still had like a community of like nurses and oh yeah uh, accountants and yeah like, you know black like, doctors black doctors and stuff living in that same neighborhood it's kind of weird yeah. like, we kind of we kind of forget that when we reminisce but well, i think we kind of overblow we kind of overblow i don't want ah this might sound kind of crazy i think we kind of overblow how bad the crack era was the crack era we was bad do, it's very ironic to say it, but in some ways it was worse but in a weird way it was kind of better there was a weird sense of shared it, it was kind of weird it was so bad that it was almost a shared struggle yeah that, that you kind of like like think of all the songs like self-destruction and yeah. all like the rap songs that were about we have to take care of each other we have to do yeah stuff like that and by giving people these, actually these, look people looked out for you in the crack era they they looked yeah. out for you it was if you were if you were if you were a crackhead or if you smoked crack you were around crack heads it wasn't like you know, now where you might have in a gentrified area, there's a little small pocket of bad going on and all the rest is white people. The white people that was in that area, they smoke crack too. Yeah, it, it was weird. People were out to get you more, but ironically, it made people almost out to look out for you more at the same yeah, time. Yeah. And and you might have a bunch of your friends and a bunch of your friends who weren't into like street shit, a bunch of y'all walk home together or right. go places like 20 deep because that's the only right. way you could, you could like wear your uh, starter jacket and not be right. in, in trouble and stuff. You know? Right. Whereas now it's like because we gave them this kind of post-racial world and told them, hey, now that you're not around bad, the so-called bad blacks anymore, you have nothing to worry about because now you're around nothing but white people. You're yeah. safe. And we don't warn them of the dangers of... You're actually in more danger now, in my opinion. You're more in danger yeah. now post-crack era than in the crack era because back then, you know, it, I, I never really understood those stories of people, you know, they made it like uh, kids, you know, the 11-year-old is smoking crack and... I'm not saying that that didn't happen, but dude, <laughs> come on, man. Like it, it that's, it's not a movie. You know what I'm saying? Like everybody had yeah. the drug addict auntie that came over. And when she left, you had roaches, you know what I'm saying? Like everybody had that relative that was a drug addict that was steal from you and things like that. But the odds of you walking down the street and adult, the D boy saying, Hey man, you want to smoke some crack? I've yeah. never seen it. And I'm talking nobody, about from LA all the way up to see. I've never seen that. Nobody so, ever, nobody ever, ever, ever offered me crack in my life. No. Ever. No. If anything, and, they told you get the fuck off the block. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I didn't know anybody who smoked crack as far as no. friends and stuff. Like, you know, no, you, had, you had a no. group of friends who all, and that's one of the things, like, uh, you know, somebody was criticizing millennials for like glorifying like uh lean and yeah. all this stuff and then the millennial was like oh yeah well y'all rapping about crack and then uh lord jamar was like yeah but we were rapping about a selling it which is selling still it. bad it's still yeah. bad but we weren't actually bragging about yo man i just smoked a shit ton of crack today we weren't rapping about that we weren't rapping about using it you know uh, and like how cool it was to be like strung out you know like yeah. not being able to do shit all day like these lean rappers are you know nothing i mean remember the signs was crack is whack i remember iced tea and commercials saying crack is whack yeah and that was the second thing to say because either we were rapping about selling it which was bad you know but also that kind of came later anyway but in the beginning yeah. it was all about like night and living bass heads like people are yes. rapping about crack they tell you not to do it like you know yeah. Uh, um, yeah. Big Daddy Kane all these people everybody I remember every because people had to realize even though there were conscious rappers what people don't remember and if you listen to like rap from like 86 to like 91 even non-conscious rapper 
everybody had to have a token conscious song. Yes. Like, it was like you were required to like give back. And yep. everybody, like even LL Cool J was one of like, the most narcissistic me, me, me themed rappers would started having like, you know, Def Jam from the motherland. And, yep. you know, like, 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 cause it was that bad. People were like, we have to do something. Yet, like, we're on the same gang. Like, you wouldn't have that anymore. We're all in the same kids. gang. Was Yeah. I mean, like, that we're was. We're in LA. Yeah. Nobody self, was. Self destruction in New York. Self destruction. Yeah. Nobody was. I mean, even down south with the ghetto boys, they all, everybody had songs about why it's a bad idea. Like, you listen to High Rollers, the Ice T song, and you look at the video. In the video, he doesn't show too many people getting rich or selling drugs. He's showing you drug busts. Like, that's about, what was happening in the video. Or how, or how about that song? Uh, what's it called? Hustler? What's that Ice-T song? The, uh, New Jack Hustler. I, New I think, Jack I think Hustler. Was, yeah, yeah. And and that kid is like, how can I be down? You, you yeah. That part? And then he, he he paints this fucking awesome picture of being like, you know, this gangster. But then it, it ends up like going bad. And the kid learns, holy shit, this is not... Uh, got a good look. Or, or a children's story. Remember a children's, children's story? Children's story, yeah. Yeah. Dave yeah, the dope scene shooting up dope. You know? Yeah, like, yeah. I think and I think, think it gets we, we kind of overblew that whole era like it was just this, you know, not yeah. saying it wasn't bad, because I got plenty of relatives that fell victim to that shit. But man, yeah. you you had to really actually want it to to get it. Yeah. And you knew how to navigate things. Like you knew which streets not to go down. Like for example, when I uh, lived in Flushing, there was a street called Ash Avenue. I lived on Beach Avenue. And there's alphabetical mm-hmm. orders. So it's Ash, Beach, Cherry. Ash was the drugged out street. And right. the only friend I knew who had a gun lived on Ash. Remember one time I went to Ash just because I wanted to hold the gun to see right. what the gun felt like. So everyone was like, yo, Jay has a gun on Ash. So he went to Ash, I went to Jay's house. And we all like held the gun. Right. And like, wow, wow, this shit feels heavy. Like, I, like I, I, thought, I thought it was like in the movies, that was light. And then we never went back to Ash. Like, like we, right. we ran back home because <laughs> we right, never right, visited right, Jay. We right. didn't want to go to Ash. You, we didn't want to. You know, you weren't supposed to be like, over that, there. We never were supposed to be over there. The, like, going that one block was like stand by me. Like, you know, when they had to, they <laughs> making like a trek together? Like, yeah. <laughs> the four of us went to Ash to hold a gun. And we all went back and we're like, we're never going to go to Ash again. It was scary as fuck. You know, and you're able to live like your whole life and never go to, go to Ash, and Ash never bled over to Beach. Yeah, and that was man. just, you know, it. And and we, we gave these kids this post-racial world, supposedly. We delivered them to, like, you know, the white world, the white suburbs. And we were like Vito in the movie where he told yeah. them, you don't know how lucky you have it, you know, that you don't have it like we have it. And we overblow how bad it was. Meanwhile, deep down... We kind of lorded over them that we had this authentically black experience, or we had because this- I, I think we do that because subconsciously we know we were wrong. I don't even want to say we, but some people we were wrong because we were supposed to build the neighborhood instead of leaving the neighborhood. Exactly, we we're supposed to build it, and uh, and this is the thing: we gave them this new world that we don't even know how to navigate at their age. Yeah, it's not really our world. We're guests. We're kind of guests in this world ourselves yeah, as absolutely. parents, like the same yeah. way we guests as kids, like as parents. Like we're guests as homeowners, we're navigating life amongst their white friends' parents the same way they're navigating life around these kids. So we're in this new world with them and we don't understand it. We left our old world behind and we didn't preserve it. You know, like you said, we didn't build this thing. Like, yeah. like we didn't give them anything to go back to because what we left is now gentrified. Like, like, yeah. like say they wanted to go like like saying you're a Puerto Rican or a Dominican or Haitian immigrant and you bring your kids to this world if your kids wanted to 
as bad as uh, Haiti or any of the third world countries is, you know, if they wanted to, they could say, hey, I want to go back and experience. I'm going to brush up in Spanish. I want to go to where you grew up, Poppy. I want to go and live that, you know, and maybe they can give it a try. Like, we don't have a homeland in America. We don't have a that mythical past. That Like, yeah. they can't travel to 1990s golden era uh, hip-hop black America if they wanted to. Right. Like, it's gone. Like, all that's left for them is the blackish world or the that fucking uh either the blackish world or Ferguson or some yeah. kind of place or yep. or or that place that has like hookworm. You know, we didn't preserve shit for them. And you know, while we had while we had the ninety two riots, they had Trayvon Martin. Yeah. That's pretty much it. They they really don't have anything else to say, okay, where is our, our black struggle and strife? You know what I mean? We the nineteen ninety two riots was a culmination of a of a history of things going on. You know, towards Trayvon Martin, it wasn't a single incident. It was something that has always been happening. But they took that as a springboard to say, okay, now we're down. Now we have that, that, uh, we have that, we have white supremacy fatigue too. But before that, they had no idea. I mean, shit, they didn't really understand, you know, the things that were going on because they didn't have to. So if you grew up in, you know, what they call it, Baldwin Hills, you know what I'm saying, places like that, or Williamsburg and Brooklyn, or, you know, these different places where black people live where they don't have to really, deal with um a street element or anything like that you know it's, it's really difficult i feel bad for him because while i am one of the also one of the people that talk trash about them because you know i you know i say they don't create anything you know what i mean even in the sports world you know what i mean lebron james is their guy and he's wearing number 23 you know what i mean create your own yeah shit. <laughs> you know what i'm and, saying and, and i think the part the flip side of that is they don't create anything but our generation didn't really preserve it we didn't preserve it exactly Exactly. And, and we, we let outsiders take what we created. So I always have this um, this timeline in my brain, like around 1997, you know, before 97, hip hop was still black. And then once 97, Jay-Z blew up and all that kind of stuff, it seemed like it turned into this corporate entity. Uh, not saying it wasn't corporate before, but it was even more after Biggie and Pac died. It was like piranhas on it. You know what I mean? Vultures picking at it. You know what I mean? It was really time to just go get it. It was just really interesting how we kind of like gave up what little bit we did have. You know what I mean? So we don't have anything to preserve. Here's a great example, right? Like um, white kids, I feel, grow up and their parents are infusing us. Their parents are infusing them with their music, their culture. So it's like, I noticed, right? Like a lot of like white Gen Xers, you know, really kind of grew up respecting like the Rolling Stones or oh, yeah. you know, all these people. But then a lot of millennials, if you're a millennial and you want to be counterculture, you're kind of expected, right, that you need to uh, do your Googles. You got to do your Googles. You got to understand. Like, for example, I was watching this, um, I was watching this, um, episode of Black Mirror. It was like a Miley Cyrus episode. And this girl wanted to be like, you know, the rocker. And she's like a Gen Z girl. And she's like, I suppose mm-hmm. in high school. I don't know what what letter or number they're on now. But the Miley Cyrus character in the form of a robot doll is complicated. Uh, they asked ask the girl, hey, what music do you listen to? And she was like this counterculture, like hardcore girl who's not, not conforming. She's like, I listen to like the Pixies, the... Uh, the clash that this and oh, that yeah. and like all these like genics like in and late boomer like uh punk and noise groups 
And mm-hmm. then the 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 doll asked her, "Oh, so all the music like your mother listened to and stuff." And it's interesting because the mother was dead. But like even death, there's this kind of transferring. The mother is probably like you know the Gen X generation, like this transferring of like the culture, whatever. But we have a culture where when Nicki Minaj was stealing Lil Kim's whole look, yeah. and and Lil Kim called her out on it. Nicki Minaj was like, you know, fuck you, you old, you play, you washed up, and oh, then yeah. all like the uh, millennials were like, ha ha ha, little Kim, like you know, get the fuck out of here, you know what, what have you done lately? And it's like, right. my first instinct was to be like, oh my god, you uh, millennials don't have no sense of continuity, like like um, the Gen X generation, even when we were forming rap. It was informed. The samples were informed by like our parents' music, the previous yes. generation's music. We used to love spotting rap samples, and then I remember um, I don't know if the term in, in the East Coast we called it rare grooves. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, same same thing we call it. Yeah, yeah, where you would try to find the old record that yeah it came from, and you do crate digging and stuff. Yeah, and and I, I used to blame the millennials for like the way they reacted in those type of situations, but then I started thinking about it, and I'm like, we had to have some kind of disconnect somewhere if we didn't pass it on to them correctly. Somehow, yeah. we did some kind of absence or did something that kept it from being transferred to them. Like if they weren't venerating a little Kim or the icons or bowing down the same way um, the white groups. And the white fans uh, venerate to whatever. Is it fair to blame them or is it disconnect us that we kind of just didn't pass things on to them? We were just satisfied having the same way Vito and family business, you know, felt he didn't have to pass on the street smarts. Uh, His job was just to get him out of a place where he needed. um, Right where he thought he needed street smarts because he was wrong. He actually, his son actually did need street smarts, even in the square world because of the, because of where he was coming to the square world from the same way our black kids need those lessons that we had in the crack era, even though they're coming to a world where on the surface, uh, they shouldn't need it. You know, like, like the white kids don't need those street smarts to navigate their white world. But uh, those black kids actually in a strange way need those crack era skills for yeah. the white world, even though it's on the surface, the polar opposite. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I think it's a mix of both. I mean, I think we're, we're part of the blame because, you know, that turning point, like I said, 1997, when it comes to creating, you know what I'm saying? We stopped. And that was before majority of them were even born. So we stopped creating and started, you know, mimicking and, and being yeah. satisfied with and being satisfied with just, you know, like back in the day, you know, when I first, uh, for me, hip hop, like I got into records because I started recognizing like people like uh, Premier and people like that were sampling jazz. And I never didn't believe anybody could sample jazz like that. So we would go out yeah. and buy the records and stuff like that. And those records were cheap because nobody listened to that kind of jazz because those jazz artists got thrown away. The Miles Davises and Lou Donaldson's and, you know, yeah. Jack McDuff. People threw those dudes away. Like people, you know, like they say jazz was dead. You know what I'm saying? Miles Davis wasn't even dead yet, but jazz was dead. You know what I mean? So it's like, you know, we threw away so much stuff eventually you know what i'm saying it was oh, like oh yeah Listen if, to you, this. If, if, if you wanted that then you are oh, like jay-z said you want to hear my old style buy my old shit like damn really my older sister had one of the most incredible record collections yeah right and then she had an incredible record collection and she is seven years older than me so she was like 
I used to really look up to her because I think it's why I was like very tuned into culture because being at the age difference, I was exposed to a lot of music, even though I was younger and stuff. And she always knew the coolest new music. She always bought singles. She had like Sherelle, Stacey Stacey Lattisaw, people, Bryce. She had all this stuff. And she would have, she, I think, had the world-class wrecking crew. Uh, These are like first edition things. She had like the first Salt and Pepper album before the one the Salt and Pepper album have they have now the first one uh, Push It wasn't on. It wasn't on the first album. No, they re-release it now with Push It on. She has the first one without Push It on it. Like right after they released Push It as a second as a standalone single, and it became so big they re-released the first album Hot Coon Vicious, looking exactly the same. Yeah, but uh, Push It was on it. But um, right. now, if um, you look for it, a lot of people who grew up now, like like uh, say like collectors or crate diggers, they would think that it came out with that song on it. Like she had stuff like that. This stuff would be expensive collectors' items. Yes, today. absolutely. Yeah. I went to um, college and I came back one time. All of her records were gone, and I yeah. was like, "Where did your records go?" And um, she's older Gen X. I'm younger Gen X. Um, I was like, where did all your records go? And she's like, yeah, one day I just took them all out and I put them in the front of the house. Wow. And then somebody came by and took them. And I was like, are you fucking insane? Like, wow. what the fuck is that? And, wow. and I was like, forget about like some, like just for me, like, why didn't you even like, call me? I would not, I would have talked you out of it. And she looked at me like I was crazy. And I was like, like you were crazy. Yeah. Like, I was like, what did you do? Like, I would have kept those. And first off, I wouldn't even have sold them, but but right. now, but at the time, there was no like real eBay market. Like, because at the time, I used to love collecting like old stuff, right? And I, I luckily, the stuff that I had, she couldn't throw away my stuff. And there was some stuff that was her stuff that I guess, because I used to like kind of like her records that I like, I would kind of like pilfer them and put them into my mm-hmm. collection. So thankfully, the stuff of hers that I have, because she didn't know that I kind of subtly put it into my collection. So I, I have like a world-class wrecking crew, like original right single with dre looking like uh looking like know. a doctor looking like a moist doctor yeah 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 like like uh <laughs> he'd probably come to my house and throw it out right <laughs> if, if he knew his name but like like, I, like I, I have one of those like like uh and it's because and it's it was hers so like i have those things like you know uh but the, the way she casually like, threw that out was like nuts to me you know and uh but like, my dad's generation my dad saved everything till the yeah. end my dad did not throw away anything and i was expected to keep everything that, that he kept you know like uh so all his stuff is like there untouched and his name is even stamped on it <laughs> he, he stamped oh his yeah name on it oh shit. yeah that's like what that, people do put their names on their records and shit that's the level of ownership that he that he yeah. had and i feel like you know boomers to their credit they can't let themselves go at all they preserve everything and yeah. they expect you to study it like sacred text and uh we kind of big ourselves up as gen xers but we don't really preserve anything that well we just try to but you know uh, i think is and i think that's a uh you know black people we have that issue but with white people you know what i'm saying i mean mick jagger how old is mick jagger 93 oh he's old you know what i mean they're all old you know what i mean uh bruce springsteen he's about 70 you know what i mean all of those dudes can go perform and sell out madison square garden and that's just but, that new acts feel crowned yes the old acts validate them like like if if if, uh on a grammy show and stuff um if mick jagger 
allows Matchbox and um or Maroon Five or something Maroon Five to share the stage with them. Yeah, there's a sense of reverence, or it's like yes. you know we're going to bow. Whereas we have yes. been sta- we have been staples giving interviews talking about fuck the nineties. Exactly, and that's my whole point. If you were, if a white kid says fuck the Beatles, he probably get his ass whooped. If he says fuck Ozzy Osbourne and any of that shit, but then, but 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 if Boys and Men wants to wants to perform somewhere, they got to perform at the casino. <laughs> yeah, you know? yeah, yeah, exactly. And the new and the new acts aren't going to be like dying to perform. If, no. if any, if anything, that guy Jackie's. I don't know if that's pronounced his name. Is that new the guy Jackie's? Oh he, yeah, he came out and at first of all, the guy only does cover songs. He hasn't even done yeah, yeah, yeah. Song is is that the kid that said he was the king of R and B or some shit like that? Yeah, and and uh, he came out with uh, in a in a video on social media with Keith Sweat, and then um, he ran up to him and instead of running up to him and like in his mind he was trying to show reverence and he didn't even know how to do it. He came and said, um, "Jackie's hurt." He this is what happened. He heard Sweat say the word king. And then he ran over to Keith Sweat to say he's he's um the king of RB of his generation, and then added that I'm the king of RB of this generation, and we are the kings of R and B. So you know he just showed up just to kind yeah, of be little uh, doing too much. Yeah, but also to kind of even in the act of like showing homage to kind of like discard him. He was discarding yeah. him in the same, and he eventually like uh he eventually um apologized after everybody um. At first of all, it wasn't even his interview. It was a Keith Sweat interview. He barged into a Keith Sweat interview just to come to the king of RB of the past and to wow. big up himself. Because, yeah, because you're bigging up yourself and you're saying, oh, the, of your generation. So what you're saying is that, well, your generation doesn't exist anymore and you don't matter because what I'm doing right now is what's popping. You know what I'm saying? You, yeah. There's no room for you anymore. And, and again, that's why I said, like, you don't see that w- when it comes to music in the white community because they make enough room for Billy Idol as well as whoever they listen to today. You're never going to hear uh, Britney Spears say, oh, Billy Idol? Oh, fuck that. Like, we even let we even let white artists clown our artists. We let Justin Timberlake clown Prince. Oh, yeah, we let him clown, clown Prince, and we let uh, Eminem clown uh, Michael Jackson. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and a lot of black artists will still, like, call Eminem the GOAT, and I was like, that's highly disrespectful what he did to uh, Michael Jackson in that video. You know, uh, it's really fucked up. Like, that's one of the main reasons I don't like fucking with Eminem. I don't fuck with uh, yeah. Justin Timberlake. Well, first of all, I don't think Justin Timberlake is even that good. I think even black people want to give him uh, the property to do because he's white. Like, I, I don't think yeah. it's even just white people. Like, back in the days, white people would let would give a watered-down white person... Uh, props for doing it just because they're white but now even like black people will um follow oh, yeah. themselves right but what, what what's 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 interesting is i feel like on some level we drop the ball as far as we i think it's something else too we were too busy living our own lives that like, like we didn't really take the time to really convey like, like we let the disney channel raise these kids we let yeah i'll give you an example like like britney spears even in white culture like new white people for example um Iggy Azalea showed more deference to to uh, Britney Spears uh, than she did to hip hop royalty. Like like the way she treated old rappers was highly disrespectful. Yeah, right. And when people try to school her, uh, like Future tried to school her, she would just be like, you know, I don't need a history lesson from you and whatever. And like, yo, this is a Q-tip. He's like an innovator, whatever. Yeah. But she got a chance to work with Britney Spears and she was on code and she, you know, oh, yeah. you could tell she was humbled by the chance to 
work with them. So, but it's also like uh, we kind of do it to ourselves. But on the flip side, what has Q-Tip been doing to preserve his own culture, right? And this is where I think we kind of dropped the ball. Like uh, the Rolling Stones really work, preserve their own legend. Like, Like the whole thing about the world's greatest rock and roll band they started saying that about themselves and then yeah. it became something that everyone else said. But Q-Tip in his way, like as much as we talk about, as much as we give the title of the creators of the world shit for like, you know, acting like rappers beneath them and always trying to find cool white people to hang out with and all this stuff. Q-Tip abandoned rap a long time ago. Oh, a long was, time ago. Yeah. He was DJing and he was hanging out like he was part of Mark Ronson's entourage when Mark Ronson yeah. should be dying to be part of his entourage. His like, entourage, right? Yeah. 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 And he was he was kind of a proto Tyler or a proto Pharrell. Like he was just doing it a little too ahead of his time. But Cutie was trying really hard to get into acting to He was trying to, to be a curator. That's yeah, he was, he was trying, trying to be, to be, trying to be a curator. Yeah, he was trying to do like um DJing. He was trying to hang out with Mark Ronson as in mm-hmm. the same way uh Tyler the Creator is trying to hang out with um trying to hang out with Quentin Tarantino and those dudes. Yeah. He was trying to be like in all these different like white scenes and these these um uh, like he was kind of like an early Basquiat type rapper him, himself. Yep. But yep. the only difference is like he was doing it too early. It wasn't as rewarded as it ended up becoming in uh, Pharrell and Tyler's day, but the Pharrell and Tyler's wouldn't be possible without without like what he was kind of doing. He just kind of like, he was trying to do like neo soul and all these weird. Oh yeah, uh, he was part Kamal of the Aquarians and yeah, Kamal the Abstract. And remember, and he was like, dating Janet Jackson, and it just turned into a lot of. Um, I don't think he ever dated. That, that, I don't think he ever dated Janet Jackson, but I think he did get a kiss scene with her. I, yeah, that they, was a rumor they, that he was dating Janet for oh, a while. Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe. Uh, who knows? But but the fact that he wasn't claimed, I think, is terrible because right. that's that's a whole different uh, whatever. It, yeah, it was just like really weird. He was really trying to break out of this box of hip hop instead of mm-hmm. uh, being like, I'm going to own this box. And he's wearing like yeah. tight jeans and leather jackets. It yeah, was really, yeah. it was really weird, really weird. Yeah, and I yeah. think that was the downfall because I don't even. I'm a, I could be wrong. I mean, the last the last great tribe album was over 20 years ago. They had so much oh, juice left in the tank. Oh, oh, yeah, so much juice left in the track. But even when he went back to rap, like yeah. that vibrant thing and stuff, he was kind of trend chasing. He was he yeah. was trying when he did go back to rap and he wasn't doing that weird come all the abstract like uh pseudo neo soulish type of stuff. He was like uh, hopping on whatever the new wave was. But I'm like, you should have been like the godfather of that bohemian type of rap that you innovated. In your day, like you know that that jazzy that that um you know you know the same way how no matter how many innovations that Miles Davis did and how many digressions he did, he was always kind of still owned that bebop uh thing. Yeah. When I mean, that's funny, the last Tribe album that they did like a couple years ago was actually really good, and it wasn't even just good for an old head trying album. It was yeah. actually up there with one like if they released it in their heyday. It would have been one of the greatest. It wasn't like good for your age type of album. It was actually it was a good album. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The last one, uh, the one that they released after Fife died, and it, and yeah, when I heard it, it actually made me sad because I'm like, wow, if you guys did actually have that much juice left in the track, imagine if you guys just kept trying. You yeah, know? you just and, you pretty much squandered your opportunity and squandered your talent for whatever reason. You know, yeah, I never for, really, you know, I seen the documentary you- that they did, you know, but. And 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 the idea that they needed Michael Rappaport to curate their legacy was already to me a terrible idea. That was like, another why, issue. Why him? Why not even at least like Spike Lee or somebody? Like why, why not Fat Five Freddy? 
Fat by Freddy, yeah, why not him and stuff? And so it's like to some level, I'm like, okay. So Iggy Azalea is like disrespecting him and whatever. But um, Britney Spears, that generation, like they still act like whenever new kids on the block or NSYNC are doing something together, that it's a big deal. I'm like, that's some mm-hmm. bubblegum manufactured. Yeah, some- new kids on the block hasn't had a song in 30 years. Yeah, and, and what they were doing was just watered down New Edition. It was just, yeah. it was literally the same guy, the guy who created yeah. New Edition. For yep, people who don't know this, uh, his name is Maurice Starr, I think. The guy who created New Edition got a really good formula in New Edition, and he was like, if I just do the same formula with some less talented white kids, just the fact that they're white will make it further. So they actually had a black puppet master. Like, like it's, it's a rare reversal. Like, yeah. I always like New Kids on the Block just because for once, the white people the black guy was a puppet master of the of the black faces but yeah. the white faces but uh he just basically took what he did with new edition and went back and just did the exact same thing with five white guys yep. and made it blow up like way faster white people today will act like this great legendary band is back together whenever new right. edition comes back <laughs> they'll be on good morning america like like, like you would think these guys they didn't create a single thing. They just basically <laughs> did the white new kids. They were basically they took somebody else's song that somebody wrote some other song that they never wrote. And a new style, yeah, a style yeah. that they didn't do. Like, uh, yeah, they, it basically they're just a worse new edition. That's, that's all they are. Yeah. <laughs> they're basically yep. a worse yep. singing, worse dancing new edition. And but when they, they still, but they still get the respect from their audience. You know what I mean? Like they, yes. still, I have no idea if Stacey, La- Stacey Lattisall is alive. I have no clue. But I know that nobody listens to her music. Nobody talks about her. We didn't pass you know? it on. We did. We did not pass it on, man. We did. We did. We did not. And even like the people at the time, like you know, and and white people do that, and they act like, and the younger generations will act like they're getting a hug from their parents when yeah. you know that older person. Like, like he's a pretty great example, right? Uh, the music. The music. Multiple generations of people still act like it's a big deal when. Madonna co-signs them, and it's like, oh yeah, yeah. What what is Madonna still doing? Like you know, what I mean, like like. But the way black people would think is, you know, if an old rapper tries to give him a co-sign, you know, they'll do the Vince Staples thing, like, you know, get out of here, oldie. You know what I'm saying? That's, like, what, that's uh, what Big Daddy Kane said. They, I seen Big Daddy Kane on Drink Champs, and he said that he's gotten a lot of pushback from a lot of younger rappers because they be thinking that he want they 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 shine, and he's like, no, I just want to try to show you how to navigate through the game. He's like, man, I'm good. I don't need your money. I don't need anything from you. But I'm just trying to be like a big brother and show you how to get through the game the same way that Barry Gordy's and all these other guys used to do for younger guys back in the day. But they're like saying, oh, fuck you. You're, you're, you know, they think they want something from them. And I'm like, man, that's bad. That's but too to bad. It, but to throw it back on Gen X, what did Big Daddy Kane do? Big Daddy Kane was chasing too. Big Daddy Kane. Yeah, yeah. He was trying to do um do like albums where he was wearing like purple lace oh, Zara, Zara shirts. shirts. Yeah, oh, yeah, Zara shirts. He was appearing in Madonna's book. Yeah, um, with Naomi Campbell. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. You know, being used like a human dildo and stuff. Yeah. Like, like why are you letting Madonna use you as a dildo? But he wanted to break through to that white world. He wanted what Basquiat was doing songs with Patti LaBelle and Yeah, yeah. yeah. And and the main difference is really for all the gruff that we give the tire the creators of the world and stuff, the real probable difference is for them it just probably worked. There's a market for them to do it. Yeah, <laughs> like yeah, uh, yeah, really. If if uh if the extent to which a Big Daddy Kane or a Q Tip didn't become Tyler or Pharrell, how much of it was due to principle versus 
they, it it just wasn't ready yet. The market wasn't, wasn't ready. ready yet. Right. You were just right. uh, warming it up. So to that degree, like it kind of messed up his ability to probably to hand down his legacy because I think the people who protect their legacy better, the millennials will at least hang on more. And to give an example, like NWA and Ice Cube and Dr. Dre, I feel like they did a very good job of protecting their, their legacies. Absolutely. As as the musical legacy. And if you notice, a lot of these young people won't disrespect them. Like a lot of these, you know. No, like, no. Like, uh, same even, thing with Snoop. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it's like, even if they went into other stuff, like, um, you know, like, uh, Ice Cube now is, is now the, uh, are we there yet guy, you know, mm-hmm. he's doing voices and cartoons, but there was a sense to which they, they kept rapping very long. Like Ice Cube stayed in the game almost probably a little longer than he should have you know like like he yeah. stayed in up to the west side connection stuff like because when he went to that state where he was rapping like so look at yeah look at yeah, yeah, yeah at yeah, that point yeah. i was like okay i'm not digging this you should not be rapping yeah. now you know like yeah. his style's a little bit weird like yup looking yup yup I, I didn't like that but at least he kind of stayed in there and if you notice like when that Sarah Compton movie came out like a lot of people were very happy to Young young rappers that were very happy to there was a kind of feeling the same way um, these other young white people act very happy to get that cosign from NWA like I think Dre even released an album with nothing but old school young buck um, collaborations on it I think it was called Compton it wasn't very good honestly I didn't like it but it no nah, I didn't but, like but, it yeah. but the fact that it showed how much young people same with all his stuff is on uh, 2001, which which was good. I yep. like 2001, but it was chock yeah. full of like um, younger acts. It was still this kind of thing. And I think this kind of integrity that they kept, like, like I think they were an example of like Gen X kind of, Gen X kind of doing it uh, right. But I think they were kind of more of a, an anomaly. Like, like they really, like, like what was like, what's nice about them is that another like, tribe, which has Rappaport telling their story, it's out of their control. And now they're arguing about this documentary that, that half of them hate. And it was a fiasco by the time the tribe documentary came out with half of them hating. Oh, yeah, it. I remember that. Q-tip. Yeah. Yeah. They had total control over their movie almost to a fault. Like, it almost was like so rosy colored, rose colored for them. Like, you know, no mentions of Dre beating anybody. You would think Bre- Dre is like, uh, Dre's almost a feminist in the movie. You know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. They oh, yeah. Image really, really hard. They didn't make sure, you know, that. Even if the movie, even if the movie doesn't age well, well, their careers will, their legacy does. And I don't, yeah. I don't know if that movie is going to age too well. I have no idea. But, and I, cause I've only seen it twice. I think I've maybe yeah. seen it twice. So I think that they did a good job of that because sometimes, you know, like it's like the, the All Eyes on Me movie and the Biggie Smalls movie. It was, they, neither one of them were great movies, but at least it preserved the legacy. Yeah, exactly. You know, because, because the Biggie Smalls movie was, uh, Puff and them had a big involvement in there, to their credit, you know? And, and I think that's why, uh, an example why Biggie will last, but a lot of people won't, because the culture, like, Gen X, maybe didn't preserve the culture as a whole, but the things that they really tried to preserve, unfortunately, they only, I think they only did it because they died. But, yeah, but uh, yeah. Biggie and Tupac, because at that point, they're not a threat to give them, to, to support them, you know? Right. But, uh, like Biggie and Tupac, that's something that's past generation generationally where like millennials and younger will uh respect that legacy. Yeah, it's like know? watching Malcolm X. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And the example I was gonna get was gonna give was like uh there was an MTV Music Awards where Madonna appeared on stage with Britney Spears and Christina Aguilera, and then she appears with them and she French kisses both of them. Yeah, I remember you that. Know? Yeah, and this idea it there wasn't this thing of uh Britney's like, hey, you're you're 
the queen of the past, but I'm the current queen. Or there's right. no like there was this sense where they were her children. Yep. You know, and they were grateful to be there. You know what I mean? And, and because I'm Madonna and I'm eccentric, when I kiss you in the mouth, I'm passing the baton. Yes, yes. And and they were selling more than her at that at that time. Oh, fuck but yeah, yeah. They didn't need to do it. And and but they realized that it mattered to the culture for them to be seen doing it, that they had to be shown like bending the knee and kissing the ring. You right. know, um it mattered. And and also this idea there was this idea that they didn't view it as a threat, you know, right. you know, you know, like, Oh, if, she, if she comes back, it's not taking away our shine, you know, or, or whatever. We used to have that. Cause I feel like, uh, Gen X used to have it. Cause like, for example, when Run DMC had that down with the Kings album, where they had the, comeback Oh yeah. Album, oh yeah. Every single new person wanted to be on that album. Anybody was popping at the time and they had that album Man. down with the king. And, and remember not not only that, pink, all the remixes yeah. that came from that. Oh yeah. Everybody was dying for a chance to remix a run DMC song. Yeah. Remember, uh, remember run DMC had that song with Pete Rock and CL Smooth yeah. called Down with the King. And yeah. on that song, Pete Rock and CL's verses were homages to old run DMC verses. So I think yes. like Pete Rock goes like I went to John Jay University. You know, he yep. whereas whereas DMC's was I went to St. John's University. Like they yep. weren't ashamed to put themselves in the in the shadow. And it's kind of Yeah, that was I remember that specifically because I actually have a 12 inch of um uh Shut 'em Down. You know what I'm saying? I have a yeah. 12 inch of that. I have a bunch of those singles that um Pete Rock remixed for Run DMC and man, those were some of the dopest remixes at that time. Like, yeah, that was that was dope because, those, you know, Pete Rock at that time was, you know, he's Heavy D's cousin, but he's like the new age. He was like what Jay Dilla was in the early 2000s, late 90s. Like, that's what Pete Rock was in the yeah, early 90s. Yeah. Like, everybody wanted to get with Pete Rock. He was like, I don't know who the new producer of that. Maybe maybe like DJ Mustard, you know, the guy. Probably like, like, yeah, DJ the, Mustard. Yeah, yeah. But that, that dude that everybody wanted him to produce their song. Yeah, yeah. Everybody wanted a Pete Rock remix. This is what I think is a very interesting irony, right? I feel like, and it's funny, this turned into a double episode. Like, like, like we, we, uh, we uh, said we were going to stop and end up becoming a whole, whole different episode. But, <laughs> but, but, but I like it. It's like a Gen X episode that we always promise. It happened like organically. But I felt like we created more, right? But we also had more homage to the past. And it's almost yeah. weird. This Because we were so kind of beholden to the past, it made us almost want to create more like like uh d mill said one time he says really true like so much stuff that we were doing we were motivated by getting our parents to say i love you you know what I yes. mean? like we wanted to impress our parents like uh look what we can do you know what i mean yeah like, i mean uh, if, you, if you if you look at all the early 90s uh west coast hip-hop if it had any kind of p-funk parliament sample in it you saw george clinton in the video or you saw Boosie yes. collins in the video you and know what i'm saying we, you and always so saw them and we so wanted to show, like, hey, we've been paying attention, but also yes. look what we can look what we can do. We can uh, right. do something different with this. Like, you know, please say you approve. Like, we kind of just wanted uh, their hugs. I, I think that's what D. Yeah, you, 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 you can you can find on YouTube. This is when Guru was still alive, and he did Jazzmatazz, and he's walking around with um, Donald Byrd. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, he's walking around on Rap City with Donald Byrd. Like, as a kid, I knew who Donald Byrd was because of my parents. But yeah. he wasn't making any music that I would pay attention to. But he's one of the and, dopest jazz musicians of all time. Oh, you know what dude, I, mean? I bought all his 
albums like Wind Parade and all this yes. stuff because yes. because Black Moon, all those people would sample him and yes. they would bring him out. Sometimes when they gave performances, they would bring out the old artists to perform their beat live. They're like, yeah. oh, ladies and gentlemen, like Donald Byrd. And, you know, so I ended up discovering all this stuff and they would try to make sure that those people got to eat. You know what I'm saying? Um, yeah, yeah. And that they got like, like, like royalties and stuff or whatever. What was interesting was we were almost like more beholden to the past, but it almost like emboldened us to like uh, create. Whereas I feel like this new generation, and I think it's partially our fault because we were lackluster about, first we were lackluster about preserving our own legacy. And then also we kind of, I think to a degree, it was almost a disdain of them. Like we didn't care enough about them to really mm -hmm. push our culture on them. We just yeah. wanted to let leave them among white people and let white people raise them. Well, you, you know, know it's one of those things where I don't want to save grandma's house. I got my own house. Exactly. Exactly. You know I, don't want to I got my own house. house. Yeah. And there's a lot of that in the last man, the last black man in San Francisco. It's like, you know, with a Gen X generation kind of lets down the millennial generation that moved. Yeah. And elements like that is what I like. Cause I feel like it didn't have, it didn't have a deeper, anything deeper to say about those things, but at least they depicted it. But that's what happened last Black man, San Francisco. The Gen X generation basically just fucks everything up, right? Um, but um, yeah, I just save grandma's house. I got my own. Or it's like, I'm not going to sit with you and do your homework. I can afford for you to get a tutor. Or I'm not going to sit with you and pass along, like, you know, the culture, put on the music. I'm just going to let you watch Disney Channel. And let that, right. Because I'm divorced and I'm dating. I don't have right. time, you know, to sit around and play songs for you, you know, or, or educate you with like a curriculum. Cause you, your grandparents are trying to give you like a curriculum of like, Oh yeah. To listen to. Hell like, yeah. Like, like, Hell like, yeah. My, like my dad used to make me listen to like a lot of his music, like, like yeah. what was like homework, you know? And, uh, but, but you know, that makes me feel honored. Still, you know, it's, it's funny yeah. because it makes me feel honored because my daughter, uh, I was in here, I was in my bedroom, whatever. And then she was in her bedroom. She asked me, can I send her a playlist? I was like, what? Oh, I sent her <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but you're, but you're one of those you're one of those people that you know preserves culture because because you're like me like you're into getting old records. You're, oh yeah, uh, yeah. Like now I don't do it as much before, but for a long time I was really into trying to just you know collect and I, and I, and I play them in the house. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So in, in my house, you know, this morning, you know, I'm playing Horace Silver Blue Note Jazz records. You know what I'm saying? I play not just so she hears. I like this music, so I'm actually playing breaks from certain albums that were sampled and. You know, to have a whole, I have a, a whole shelf full of just break. You know I'll what give, I mean? I give you, I give you a great example that relates to what you said. I um, when I was growing up, right? When I was growing up, I used to read like a lot, and yeah, my cousins and like friends of the family, their parents would always use me as an example, and then my cousins stuff would get mad at me because they would say shit like, "Oh, um, they would say stuff like, oh, look how much tea reads, you know? Why don't you read that much? Or you should be doing." Uh, this stuff like I would go over to play sometimes at their house and I'd have a book that I was finishing I'd come over <laughs> with the book like, I'd be annoying like that because I had to finish the book right and, and one of my cousins told me a story recently and I was like wow I must have been really fucking annoying like you know I didn't realize I did that like you know right. like, they'd, they'd be excited I came over to play and I came with a book and I was trying to like read what was funny was what their parents didn't realize was my dad sat home reading all day long when he wasn't yeah. working yeah. So it's like they're telling their kids to read, but they're not sitting around reading. Like, like, but my dad they're not picking actually, up your habits. Yeah, yeah. My dad didn't have to tell me to read. He was just 
always reading all these books about Napoleon and history. He was really big into history. Yeah. So then, like, me, I would just, like, model uh, my dad, you know? And uh, the funny thing is that things that my dad would try to tell me to do that he didn't do himself, like, looking back older, I realized it didn't really stick the things that he would tell me to do but not do himself. And I think that's kind of how kids learn. Kids model better than they just take instruction. And I feel like... Um, you know, like the boomer generation with the Gen Xers, they were sitting around, they were living what they were doing, whereas we were still living our lives. Like we were that first generation where there's a lot of people getting divorced and they're too busy, like, you know, still extending their own lives. It's like, I don't worry about grandma's house. I got my own or, yeah, yeah. Um, you're uh, breaking breaking up again, so you're going to have to. Okay, cool. Yeah, so, so like what I, was, what I was saying before is I feel like they, our generation was very... Um, venerating of the prior ones but we were also uh way more way creative and stuff and probably somehow what they passed on to us uh by making sure the culture was preserved you know gave us the tools and the building blocks to create whereas uh i think the gen xers they can't really create they can't really regurgitate they can't really do much except regurgitate or whatever right right um but that disrespect they have for us that disdain is because they're mad at us for not giving them the tools to uh do it and not passing along the culture so even though like everything they have is like derivative uh they have to almost learn it the same way um matthew broderick has to kind of learn the street game by skipping over the dad and going to the to the grandfather you know and he has to like look for other places because the grandfather won't teach it to him and then when he tries it he's fucked up because he's supposed to learn it from his father not his grandfather right and not from other dudes in the street it's like uh our generation didn't really stick around and have the patience all we did was basically say you're supposed to kiss our ass which basically which is, what, which is what the gen xers did to us but they also told us why we're supposed to kiss their ass and they spent, right. they put the work in uh, right. kind of kind of earning it, you know, whereas I feel like we kind of uh, didn't do that. So they have no point, they have no choice but to not have the tools to really, uh, you know, do anything. It's like, no one's teaching like millennials how to like do a transformer scratch or, no. or why, or why the DJ was so instrumental to creating hip hop. You know what I mean? No. And, I, and also, and because of those things, they don't honor it. So when they do see like a Serato or something like that, they're like, oh, I'll just buy one of those. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Not saying, you know, of course, yeah, it's more convenient to to do that. And, you know, all these other do different ways of technology. But there's nothing wrong with knowing the shorthand way of doing things. Like my grandmother used to always say, like, you know, if, if you know, for whatever reason, the power grid goes down, we're going to have to do things by hand. So when you go to the grocery store, if you work at the grocery store, can you count? Because the, the machine's not going to do it for you. You know what I mean? So are you going to know what to do? You know, that's funny. That actually happened where I'm sorry. I'm sorry. People are being very unprofessional, but I'm eating again. But because um, this is taking so long, I wasn't planning for it to take this long, but I'm glad because it's more content. But um, I just have to break down and eat. But um, there's this recent story, and I think it's a very interesting story. The story came out that uh, millennial men have no handyman skills, and they're like the worst handyman uh, generation, right? So it came out, I think, like the New York Post and, you know, they always had these millennial bashing um, articles and then the least, and then some millennials made, you know, a really good point. And what they, what they said was, um, they said, you didn't, you guys didn't pass us a house to be handy in, 
you know. <laughs> oh, oh wait, oh sorry. No, oh, oh, oh wait, 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 wait. You're breaking up again. You're gonna have to. <laughs> yeah. Oh well. Oh yeah, yeah. But but they were saying you never took the time to teach us handyman skills because you were too busy like living your life and you know uh, doing whatever. You also didn't pass on a house for us to be handy in. Like like where am I gonna be handy in like my two bedroom Portland or Brooklyn apartment with like, like two roommates? Like like you know we have a rental and I have a landlord. Like you know how am I gonna to be handy? Like like you grew up with your parents in the house and yes they sat with you one afternoon and made you. Pass them the wrench and everything, you know. Fuck yeah, man. Yeah, yeah you were at, you were at work all day or out with your new girlfriend, and you know, also you weren't preserving the house. You know, you've already sold it and moved to Florida. Like, how am I supposed to be uh, handy? And, and now you're gonna bash you for not being handy. It's an indictment on you. That's the truth, man. That's the definite. That's the man. That's the truth, man. That's one thing I will say that is true, man. You know, the common skills weren't passed down, so you can't get mad if nobody knows how to do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't make sense. It's almost like saying, do as I say, not as I do, or however you want to put that. You know what I mean? Like, you're you're telling me that I need to know these things, but you didn't teach me how to do it, so how the hell am I supposed to figure it out? It, I mean, yeah. Yeah, that's... <laughs> I, I, I mean, I think it's a good place to end. It's, it's a nice double episode. Uh, so I'll let you take us out wherever you want to take us out. I mean, I think we got to do this again. Uh, th- we got to continue this topic, and we got to get D and Big Mike on. Um, yeah for sure for sure we gotta continue this because this is hilarious to me because you know even though i i claim the um gen x age because i'm born in 81 even though some people say it started in 80 1980 yeah but yeah but you know what you know what people i think it's very uh crazy because somebody would try to point out to you oh you're actually a millennial but it's like things don't work that way where it's like one year you're magically a different person like like because i don't even think an older millennial, the same as a younger millennial, and a younger uh, Gen X isn't the same as an older Gen X. You know what I mean? So I think the whole concept of generations is, is kind of I, I think it's, it's based on what you grew up around. Like, I didn't grow up with the internet. I didn't have internet in my house till I was 17 years old. Yeah. Because, you know, everybody had dial-up. You yeah, know, I grew up I, in the dial-up age, dude. Me too. I, I think the 15 years being a generation thing is probably flawed. Anyway, I think yeah. you really uh, be in like six or seven year increments at, at best. Mm-hmm. And I think that's kind of the problem. But but yeah, I mean, I think whatever the official year is, there should be room to fudge it a couple of years up and down. And two people can grow up. I think two people can grow up and be born the same age. And one person Absolutely. is a little bit part of the older things. And the other person who's the same age is a little more in tune with, you know, because you know, like, yeah, like, yeah, like for me, for example, yeah. even though I'm like Gen X, I think I am able to understand um millennial things a little bit better than some of my like cousins who are the same age who are just hopelessly gen x like like they can't they right. can't make the bridge to understand anything millennial uh at all you know my sister was born in 79 she just turned 40 she's gen x you know what i mean but me and her grew up with the same stuff we grew up doing the same things enjoying the same things so hey, you know whatever but um i think it's very important we do this we continue this with, with um with uh um, people yeah with, yeah because this is i think it's hilarious because once you get to the bottom of it it's almost like we all fucked up somehow and i can see where the millennials once they start having kids you know some of them do but once they start becoming grown 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 people with their kids i can see where they're gonna fuck up oh yeah yeah i can see we're gonna fuck up do you know what's gonna have to happen exactly i'll tell you exactly what's going to happen right because i think they're going to fuck up the way we fucked up. And I think the mm-hmm. way we fucked up was 
I think a lot of shit that we did, we wanted to be different than our parents. And we thought, and we ended up throwing away some good things our parents yep. did by accident. And I got a feeling that same thing's going to keep happening um, again. It's going to be, uh, because because now they're, fe- they're fucking fed up with us. They're like, no, fuck all y'all. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like, like that's true <laughs> like like we acted fucked up but we still you know wanted like their love like demo said and i think millennials kind of said you guys are way more useless in the uh because because okay even with even like, even with civil rights like at least at least i know i know boomers lie a lot and boomers will mm-hmm. pretend like that that 15 percent of them that were doing Civil rights were really all of them. Like they all act like they were all Martin Luther King, or they were all. Oh like, man, most of them motherfuckers, and most of them hated those motherfuckers. Yeah, man. yeah, they yeah, lying, yeah. They're lying. Yeah, most of them will, will be like, uh, most of them will be like, uh, hey, you guys are missing up for the rest of us. We we got a good right now. Oh yeah, just shut up. Oh like, yeah. People don't notice, but the first assassination attempt on Martin Luther King was by a black woman. Yeah. Yeah, 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 and she was just <laughs> tired of shit. Yeah, because he was a he was he was he was a dog. Yeah, they don't want she nobody to know about. Dog by him, it was more. She was just tired of his. Like, I don't fully understand why she stabbed him, but I think it was it was 1958. But she yeah. was she was mentally ill. But you know, I get I and she don't he almost died. She stabbed him with a letter opener. But yeah, um, there was a lot of, like hostility to him. Like you know, people thought that he was going to like start a race war and you know you need to just be quiet and let things um, put your head down and just work hard yeah yeah not not do that so he almost died like uh 10 years uh earlier um yeah but there's a lot of black people but i'm saying at least they had that where i feel like gen x we don't even have that 15 percent that we can just climb onto. like who do we have like maybe like al sharpton or Late, Fuck. late, late era Jesse Jackson, like you know what I'm saying, like um, oh 1988, 1989 is when that that whole era those those people died out in 89, 88, 89. Jesse Jackson, Al Sharpton, you know what I mean. I'm surprised Maxine Waters is is is, is has lasted this long. Yeah, we can't really pass along like like when we talk about civil rights, they don't really um uh, like like we just showed up to eat, like you know we just thought okay civil basically rights, you you civil rights did the hard work now. It's a Cosby Show era, and we're just gonna do a lot of dances and innovate and mm-hmm. just live in this new um, multicultural Benetton ad shit. And yeah, that's why even these Black Lives Matter people like what they act like it just went from civil rights to Black Lives Matter. They don't even have yeah. like a real uh, bunch of uh, like we don't even have a ten percent of notable uh, race activists from Gen X that like we can like you know. Well, because, you know, you know, the crazy thing about it with Gen X is I think the reason why that is because in the 90s, like the beginning of the 90s, late 80s, 90s, white people were afraid of black people. <laughs> That's true as well. That's true as well. I, I, I used to rap scared a lot of motherfuckers, man. Yeah. In a weird way, that kind of was our activism, was like yeah. the music. But sadly, you know, suddenly realized there's no real substitute for real politics, real Absolutely uh, activism. Not. We kind of let the music take that responsibility. Like there's this fav- famous uh, Chuck D quote that uh, he said that uh, hip hop is the CNN of the streets. And yeah, looking back, yeah, I think there's a degree to which that's not true, but it's also a degree to which it is true and it shouldn't be the case. But like right. either way, whether it really is the CNN of the streets 
or whether it really isn't the CNN in the streets. And that was an exaggeration. I think we can all agree that it shouldn't have been the CNN in the streets. Like, like you no, know, absolutely not. It wasn't prepared to handle that weight. It was not a substitute for real. I think it was only the. It was only. It was almost like the Underground Railroad. It was our mode of communication between L.A. and New York, L.A., Miami, San Diego, Miami, Texas, and Chicago. I didn't know what the fuck was going on in Texas until I heard the Ghetto Boys. Yeah, but it, you know it, it, wasn't, it wasn't really meant to do the lift, the heavy lifting that activism. No, is, no, 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 no. Supposed no. to do, and um, that's another way I think we kind of dropped the ball. But yeah, we should have uh, the rest of the guys on and make this another show. I think it'll be uh, yeah, definitely. Or it'd be interesting to have one or two millennials on, and then yeah, definitely uh, guests, and then have us with them. It'll be very interesting to hear, not put the words in their mouth, but hear what they have to say about it. Yeah, I'm definitely down with that. Yeah, yeah. If anyone has suggestions for what guest I'll be good with, it'll be very good. And with that, thanks for um, being on as usual. It's been a while that we've had just a, a Sharks only show, so it's good to have Definitely, these. man. I think this is the first one in, what, about a month and a half? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. And, oh, again, uh, last minute house cleaning. Go to patreon.com forward slash champagne sharks and support we uh enjoy you guys i know we kind of lapsed in may and had less episodes than usual and we don't take that for granted we appreciate patrons and people who are basically paying for our product so we uh try not to do that lightly and we're trying to uh, play some catch up now so there will be some extra episodes coming up and we definitely do not take your guys support for granted so thanks again all right, all right. guys thanks a lot be good man all right peace